0: Hi, I'm the host, Chip James.
1: And I'm the producer, Katie Matthews. And if you're anything like us, you have a heart for Dayton, Ohio.
0: And maybe you've been looking for a place where you can hear more about the interesting people and businesses that make Dayton such a special place to call home. Well, that's why we created the New Dayton Podcast to celebrate a new era in our great town.
1: Thanks for listening. We hope you enjoy. Other interview today's guests win the award for most requested by our other podcast guests. It's fair to say that probably seventy-five percent of our guests so far have mentioned today's Dayton business as a local favorite. Jack and Natalie Skilliter own Corner Kitchen, a restaurant that offers seasonal American cuisine right on the corner of Fifth and Wayne in the Oregon District downtown. Having managed restaurants in restaurant capitals like New York and Washington, D.C., we were super curious to hear the story of how Corner Kitchen found its home in Dayton. And when we reached out to Natalie and Jack for an interview, even their email reply was thoughtful and genuine, and we knew we were in for a great conversation. They certainly lived up to the hype, and we're so excited to share this interview with Jack and Natalie Skilleter of Corner Kitchen. Let's get to it.
0: Yeah, so why don't we start, I would love to chat just a little bit about our conversation. And I loved, I can't remember who wrote it, but the response to us, was it you, Natalie? Mm-hmm. I loved your response. And I just would love to maybe even just start with that, like kind of um, being a business owner downtown and specifically in the Oregon district and sort of what that means to you guys. I know it's a big question, is a big question. You could you could own a restaurant and you could use your skills anywhere. You could have gone to Cincinnati, you could have gone to Troy, you could go to Columbus or Toledo, but you're here in Dayton.
2: Uh, Yeah, I mean, and we we pursued and definitely uh, conceptualized a lot of different business approaches that we could take uh, in the Dayton region, um, whether it be somewhere, um, you know, in in the uh, suburbia or uh, food truck or mm. or things like that. Um, and we always felt like we were gonna be a, you know, a business owner, wanted to own, our, own and operate our own restaurant. The, um, I don't know, one of the things that always appealed to us about Dayton and uh, downtown in the Oregon district especially was the sense of community. And we purchased our, our first home here um, back in 2009. I downtown think. no 11 2011 i'm sorry yeah and we live in the oregon district so you walk to work uh, so yeah that's great as much as possible we walk to work and uh walking around the neighborhood when we lived there natalie was uh working uh for her father's public relations consulting firm mm-hmm. and i was working at the Dayton Racquet racket club at the time and every time we walked past this corner we just it, at that time it was Pulse nightclub, right. but we said this would be the perfect spot for a restaurant. And we didn't hadn't even been inside right. and didn't know what it looked like, but just the location, proximity to our house, and also the vibrancy of the Oregon district uh, kind of drew us to this. Finally, we got in um, in touch with the owner of the building mm-hmm. and uh, were able to start the process of of opening. A restaurant and then kind of just the inertia of mm-hmm. a project took over at that point. Prior to that though it really was just being a part of the neighborhood was mm-hmm. was really important to us and uh, there is a huge uh, sense of community and support that
0: people right. have shown throughout. Yeah, so you lived in the Oregon District first and then decided to take that next step and own a business here.
3: So as long as Jack and I have been together um, after college we Have worked in the restaurant industry Mm -hmm. and we worked um, in different restaurants and then we worked um, when we lived in Washington DC we worked in the same restaurant Hmm. and so we always knew that we wanted to have our own restaurant
0: right Um, was it in the back of your mind or was it something you talked about almost you know daily weekly
3: well you know when when you talk about your job and and the challenges Mm -hmm inherently you end up talking about what you would do differently, sure. you know? So I think it, uh, over the years it kind of um, came out like when we, when we open our own restaurant, we would like to do X, Y, and Z. Yeah. Um, but, you know, we worked for a lot of, we worked in um, New York and in Washington, D.C. and the, the access to owning your own restaurant there in those markets is, mm-hmm. is, chal- you know, there's not a lot of access. Right. Sorry about that. That's okay. Um, and so part of coming back to Dayton was we have family there. We have here, a, in, Dayton. here in Dayton. We have a support system. And, um, you know, rather than spending five million dollars opening a restaurant, we spent half a million. Yeah. You know, so um, I think i think just the access for people like us (laughs) um is huge and so i think that that is what dayton offers in a lot of ways to a lot of people and it's home you know yeah it
0: seems like dayton gives restaurant owners um more of an opportunity like you just said Uh, Mm -hmm. you sort of uh call it a startup or people who want to sort of launch their first idea whereas in a market like washington dc new york city you might have to have family money. You might have right. to have a legacy of some kind to afford to be able to, to exactly. launch something.
3: And especially in the restaurant industry, your your margins are paper thin. So mm-hmm. you got to figure out what is the right balance of your investment um, mm-hmm. versus how much money you, know, you can potentially make. So. I don't
0: always go into the weeds with people, but I want to just a little bit with you guys. Because I know that people who are listening are going to say they went from walking by and going, wow, that would be the perfect restaurant, to a few years later, 2015, opening Corner Kitchen, you know, you can't just, that doesn't just happen. Right. Can you give a little bit into the weeds on, like, how did you, whether it's funding or financing, yeah. did you get investors? Yeah. Did you go to a bank?
3: So, um, yeah, so we part of something that we knew we wanted right away was to not have investors. Okay. Um, why is that? When we worked at the restaurant in DC, I was a general manager and part of my responsibilities was managing our investors and we had 29 of them. Oh my. So that was just, you know, it was a, they were lovely, beautiful people, but everyone wanted something really, really specific and really different. And so I found myself managing the people, um, outside rather than, um, the
0: focusing on the product and the experience yeah
3: the soul of the restaurant you know so
0: what was the name can you share Riss. okay
3: um and so that after that after that experience you know we had people who were interested in investing it with us and and we were really adamant about we want to do this on our own right um but
0: so how does one do that
3: it's challenging (laughs) (laughs) um so we fumbled around a bit um and but w- eventually we got connected with a gentleman named Bill Smith at Citywide, okay. and he has been our guardian angel ever since then. And he would, um, he just he looked at our numbers. He really understood our numbers. Mm-hmm. I I had incredibly robust pro formas okay. and business plans um, because ultimately Jack and I look at this first and foremost as a business. You know, there's a lot of people who are like, oh, I love to cook. I'm a chef, and it's like, well, that's great, mm-hmm. but unless you have the business chops, right. you're not going to go anywhere. So. Bill like looked at my our performers and understood them and mm-hmm. asked really great questions and he just he believed in us and he um and so he went on meetings with us to banks and yeah he, you know the banker would say and why are you here to Bill uh-huh <laughs> and he'd say oh well, I just believe in them and you know special if, advisor yeah, yeah and if they need fine if there's gap financing that that's needed Citywide will step in mm-hmm. but um
0: so we've talked to John Gower at Citywide just take a brief second for people listening what is Citywide.
3: Uh, Citywide is a I'm I don't (laughs) in your mind in my mind yeah Citywide um, invests in um, the city of Dayton and so whether that's property or entrepreneurs um, they they just kind of help support the economic structure
0: they facilitate um, startups they facilitate um, uh, commercial real estate endeavors Mm. lots of stuff yeah you
3: name it in the city of Dayton and
0: in your case they really helped
3: they really helped just just was they were just such a huge support Um, they gave us so we moved here Jack and I had some pretty big jobs in some other 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 markets Mm -hmm. and uh, we moved here and people said who are you you know I my experience when I first moved to Dayton Uh was um, uh, a lot of old white men (laughs) 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 telling you uh, wait your turn and prove yourself you know so it was really challenging for me to have had some pretty big jobs and 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 a lot of responsibility and Mm -hmm. working with you know, the when we were in D.C. especially, you know, mm-hmm. like having very very close contact to some of the most influential people in the country. Sure. Um,
0: and D.C. has like a really really world renowned restaurant scene, correct?
3: Yeah. Yeah. It does. Um, but to come here and and nobody took us seriously, it was just very frustrating because. Mm-hmm you know, I felt like we kind of had to stand on our head and said, no, like, you know, we know what we're doing from a culinary perspective, but also from the business perspective. Right. Um,
0: So how long did it take to, once you started to sort of get citywide engaged, start having meetings um, until you were like moving forward?
3: So we actually found a couple turnkey restaurants um, in the suburbs. Those were so much easier to finance. The irony of the whole thing in my mind is that banks were much more inclined to finance a restaurant that was about to go bankrupt really? than they were to invest in a,
0: new in a new concept. Interesting.
3: So what so we were like well you know whatever we want to have our own restaurant let's let's get in this way and so there were two, two turnkey restaurants that we went into negotiations with but we um, discovered something some things that were just not like ideal and we walked away from those and after the second one, you know, you're kind of mm-hmm. devastated, it, you know, you work on a project for like six months and mm-hmm. you think you're gonna have your own restaurant. Right. And then, um, so then after the second one fell through, we were like, where do we want to be? Because right. the turnkey restaurants were in the suburbs. And you know, we both grew up in the suburbs, mm-hmm. they're fine, but it kind of allowed us the perspective to say, what do we want? Right. Where do we want to be?
2: It was similar to the investor um, model that we were trying to avoid Uh, with the Turnkey restaurant you can't ultimately change everything you can try to and Natalie's so incredibly talented when it comes to uh, you know creating a brand Mm -hmm. and making sure that all of your messages and everything that you put forward sticks to that brand but you can't create it if you if you end end up opening that that turnkey so we were always concerned about um, Building a clientele, but also having that residual clientele that right. would say, "Oh, but that's not how they do it here." It's like, well, yeah. then, how much are we, uh, how much are we saddled with the past that didn't work out? That was one of our main concerns with uh, having private investors as well. Everybody can say up and down that they want to be a silent investor. Oh, we believe in your vision. Right. But if you have one bad quarter, one bad month, how long does that silence stay?
0: Right. You, instead of conforming to what they want or their idea, you can it frees you to do what you want to do. Yeah.
2: yeah. And uh, for good or bad, I would say both Natalie and I are kind of control freaks. <laughs> we try not to micromanage, but we do have very intentional uh, goals and uh, very purposeful concepts every time we change the menu or Mm -hmm. you know do anything here with the business that um, we don't want to give that control to anyone else and we definitely don't want that control to be in people's minds of oh but it should be this way
0: right so
3: so then yeah sorry this is a very long story so then we um,
0: that's why we're here by the way
3: (laughs) (laughs) we once we decided like we want to be downtown period We started working with uh, the Downtown Aid Partnership and they showed us a number of spots.
0: And you were like, but we already know of this one.
3: Yeah. So a a friend of ours um, who's on the tennis team (laughs) (laughs) introduced, said, My land, you know, the guy who owns this building is my best friend. I've known him for 40 years. Um, You should go meet with him. So we came into this space and we were just like, Oh, this is beautiful. Mm -hmm. But it didn't have a kitchen. So oh. where the kitchen is was a dance floor. Oh, okay. So oh,
0: because it was Pulse, yes. It
3: was Pulse, mm-hmm. yeah. Um, so we put together two then two more business plans. Jack makes fun of me because I have like probably...
0: 18 business plans.
3: 18 business plans and like 87 pro formas. Because <laughs> each business plan needs three yes. for every year, you yeah. know, whatever. Um, so we put together two business plans. One that we would, one for what money we had mm-hmm. um, on us to open a restaurant so that would be without a hood and a um you know a lot of the more professional Mm -hmm. kitchen equipment commercial equipment and then one with a hood Mm -hmm. so then the goal was let's go see what kind of money we can find um and one with with a hood one without a hood right and so the difference in that was about four hundred thousand (laughs) dollars um so then bill smith connected us with um cheryl palmer at huntington bank and we ended up getting an sba loan through them and a small Smaller loan through citywide. Okay. Um, so yeah, and so. Um, so
0: investor free.
3: Investor free. Free of investors. Yes.
0: Great. Yeah. Congrats.
3: Thanks, and it's been great. I mean, working with the the SBA loan process is extensive, um, mm-hmm. and but they've been wonderful. Awesome.
0: So you opened in two thousand fifteen, so you're about four years in. Mm-hmm. And Jack, as executive chef, yep. Uh, Let's talk about the world's uh, opinion of executive chefs. (laughs) (laughs) Some of my favorite movies involve like these fiery chefs, uh, either as the main character, as just like a five-minute blip in the movie uh, or the show. How would people in the kitchen describe you as executive chef?
2: That's a tough one. If you weren't in the room,
0: yeah. yeah. What do you think they would say? I once had this exercise where they're like, what would your kids say? How would your kids describe you? And I was like,
3: <gasps> panic. <laughs> oh, no, I never thought of that. Yeah.
2: I don't think I would be described as, you know, a screamer, a Gordon Ramsay. Um, Throw a dish on the floor. Throwing, yeah, breaking stuff, throwing pans. I, you know, occasionally a pan will slip out of my hand, but it's usually unintentional because... <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> I guess I, I would say one of the ways they would describe me is, uh, is kind of as a maniac. Uh, I like to be hands on mm-hmm. up until recently, I was always working the line right. um, every night. And so for me, like speed, efficiency, being able to do the most that I can uh, is right. very, very important. So I think you know, that's where my craziness goes rather than berating people. Yep. It's more like, how much more can I do? Right. Um,
3: We've worked efficiency. for some of those fiery chefs. Yeah. We've worked in some yeah. places where...
0: Just massive personalities.
2: Yeah, you
3: know, like I, I worked in a place where the manager would walk around and kick me in the back of the knees if I wasn't walking fast enough. Oh, my. You know, Jax had pants thrown at him. So oh, my. So we were very intentional about creating a restaurant that mm-hmm. broke the rules mm-hmm. in terms of or defied what right. um, most restaurants do. Yeah, like.
0: so what would you? how would you describe your husband as an executive chef?
3: So I think a lot of times the executive chef role becomes an administrative role. Right. Um, And when we were opening the restaurant, I said to Jack, what do you want to do? And he said, well, I guess I'll have to do the ordering and do be the expo and blah, blah. And I said, no, 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 what do you want to do? Right. And he said, well, I want to cook. Yeah. There's some expression about like a happy chef is a chef who's cooking. Right. Um, So we built the restaurant around him making everything yeah (laughs) um so it you know it's challenging logistically in terms of um personnel but and um, having
0: to close if he's sick
3: having to close if he's sick exactly but um i think that that is part of why we have such consistency yeah is because jack is in the kitchen every day um making everything
0: For those of you listening that don't take offense to this, but I don't like when people go to chains, right? And, and this isn't a knock on Dayton because it's just that you could pick any any uh, town in the Midwest, especially suburban type town. People are just sort of brought up going to chains and then it seems to be like in their blood. Yeah. It's like Friday night. Where are we going? Cheesecake factory? And it's like, oh my gosh, it sounds so horrible to me. <laughs> and I'm not... I'm not being a snob and I'm not holding against people if you do that. But part of the reason for the podcast is to try to shine a light on some of the businesses and the restaurants in particular, where I think people should be going and spending their money. Can you give people an idea of the difference between the two? I think some people genuinely don't know. It's like the same people who are on your front stoop. They're like, oh, that's good. You should open a restaurant. You know what I mean? Like, what's the difference like literally in the in the kitchen even like between a big chain restaurant that puts out a chicken marsala and if you guys put something like that out what's the difference
2: i I mean I i would say the big difference in that um is kind of with the example you brought up cheesecake factory they are they're much more of a factory oriented business, um, while it is still food preparation and, 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 uh, and a hospitality industry,
0: right?
2: They are seven days a week and, you know, pretty much every shift, including brunches on the weekends and things like that, typically where, um, consistency and, and falling, following, um, the, the structural guidelines of every shift and like every recipe is is of the utmost importance right I I personally have experience working while we were um, getting the uh, corner kitchen open for for a large corporate chain Mm -hmm. restaurant here in the Dayton area Um, and it was it was very grueling Mm -hmm. and uh, it was a great opportunity it definitely paid well and uh, we you know I thought we did a good job and put out good food but at some point the the soul of the employee Creativity. is disregard- disregarded. Mm-hmm. It's, you know. Uh,
3: but I think that for for us too, so there's the soul of the employee, but there's also the um, food chain issue. Mm-hmm. So a lot of these big corporations, all of them, have these just huge contracts with these purveyors. Right. And um, so what you're getting is you're getting soup in a bag. Right. You know that that all you have to do is reheat, and you're getting um, pre-portioned lamb chops, and right. um, and so everything is, it, it's a factory. You know you have everything costed yep. out, so yep. you're hitting all your numbers. Right. For us, Jack is a um, he's a butcher too. So he, we get whole lambs in from uh, Fort Loramie, Ohio, wow. and so he's using every piece of that animal. So. Right. I think um, I think from a quality perspective, yes, you get consistency with those um, chains. But from a for a local perspective, you know where your where your products coming from, right. whether it's um, meat or seafood or um, vegetables.
0: Right. How did we come up with Corner Kitchen and how did we come up with Finer Diner? Who did what and where did it come from? I think those are those are first of all a great name, and I love Finer <laughs> Diner.
3: Um, so, you know, I do a lot of research and, um, I had how many, mo- we had 60 names mm-hmm. that we 60, well, you know, we had a lot of names, yeah. that we, but we had a lot of, um, depending on like the space we found, we built a restaurant around that space, okay. right? So, um, Jack has some, uh, classic French training. Yep. Um, so we looked at a space, we were like, oh my God, this, a teeny little French Bistro would be perfect there. So, right. so then, you know, you brand around kind of the space. Yeah. So once we found this space, we had a lot of names, but we decided just like, we scrapped all of them at some point and we we're like, let's just call it what it is, you know, cause we had mm-hmm. designed the kitchen an open kitchen. It's sort of the centerpiece of the restaurant. Yep. I love it when guests come in and they say, oh. I didn't realize i was going to sit near the kitchen it's like that's it's what it's actually this a good is. thing yeah <laughs> like um that's that's kind of the brand right. um so we just we just decided to um, be very literal you know we're mm-hmm. on the corner of the block and we've got an open kitchen yeah. and that is what it is so corner kitchen yeah we just wanted to kind of be minimalist in everything we did so our food is Um, influenced by French cuisine, but it's still very, very rustic and simple and and, uh, approachable.
0: Tell people what rustic is. Is it American? I mean, is rustic... I like rustic, so you're appealing to me, but I'm wondering if people get it.
3: How do you... I don't know how to... um, I think that the portions are kind of um, a little bit more robust. Uh I think that your plating is a little bit um, not as refined, so... You know, we've worked in restaurants where people have those big, long tweezers where they're just like mm-hmm. intentionally putting every microgreen in the exact yeah. place. You know, yeah. we don't do that. We just kind of do a plush of
0: throw it on there, kind basil. of like we're over at your house for dinner. Yeah. But what about finer diner? Well, the finer diner
2: actually um,
3: we, borrowed that. we
2: borrowed that when <laughs> we so were in uh, Rhinebeck, New York. Um, Natalie was working at a restaurant named Terrapin. I was working at Le Petit Bistro, a small French restaurant there and a colleague and friend of, um, uh, the chef, Joseph Deleu at Le Petit Bistro, uh, when we were there, opened a restaurant that was further out of town, um, at, uh, an old, uh, at an intersection of uh, two state routes. Okay. And, uh, I loved the name and the concept that she came up with. It was, uh called Another Fork in the Road uh, and this uh, the, the t- subtitle or some sub, um, subline was a finer diner right And that just kind of resonated with me and, and uh, it kind of helped us I think on the path to the concept yeah, and sort mean, of the can, vibe right Yeah, just, yeah. everybody
3: kind of wants to be everything to all people. <laughs> I think I see that a lot. And for us we once we found the space um, and started to brand what we wanted to do with the menu, We kind of wanted to create a place that we wanted we wanted to go, you know. And so we went to when we lived in New York, we went to just a ton of diners all the time, and um, we love diner food when it's done well. And um, but we also wanted to bring the finer element um, to us. But when for me, when I was branding or when I was decorating or when I was developing the beer program, you know, I needed to create guidelines. And processes for decision making. So, having a finer diner as a tagline is also a philosophy. So, you know, does this, if we make a decision to do something, so right now I'm looking into buying menu covers for our wine list. Okay. Does this fall onto the diner side or does this fall onto the finer side? Yeah. And if it doesn't fall into either, then I don't think it's right for us. Right. So, it's more of a, it's a clever, cute little name that we sure. borrowed from somebody, but it's more of a, um, philosophical kind of process-driven decision-making. Right,
0: It can become your moniker, right? It can yeah. become the whole sort of, like you're saying, it can guide every decision.
3: Exactly, and and for, for food, it works really well for us. For our service mm-hmm. perspective, it really works for us. Um, you know, something that was frustrating to us when we first moved here is I didn't love all the service that I got at a lot of restaurants. Right. And um, so I think that, there's the philosophy like you can there's fine dining service right that's kind of cold um, and rigid yeah and then there's just like down home kind of
0: <laughs> yeah. like
3: much more um
0: midwestern yeah yep
3: and um so for us it was really important to kind of bridge that gap okay and um, the finer diner I think works well with that
0: two questions so number one were you trying to in some way fill a void? Is the corner kitchen filling a void that you saw, sort of coming back to Dayton? Yeah. Yes, how so? I think uh, when we looked at the
2: market, the places that were French style uh, cuisine were always seen as that fine dining, yeah. haute cuisine. Special occasion. Really special occasion. Yep. We never uh, anticipated or wanted to be a, a special occasion restaurant. Okay. I, I, you know, we always felt like that's so limiting because essentially you're going to see repeat Birthdays, customers like um, twice a year. Right. And it's like, no, we want you to be here every weekend right. or every Tuesday or, you know, whatever right. becomes your routine. But, we, you know, we wanted to be warm and welcoming yeah. so that everybody was comfortable any day that we are open for business to, to just come on in and uh, have a meatloaf.
3: Right. And then on the other side of that was bar food. You know right. like like just super casual plastic cups yep. um, paper napkins right you know so certainly um, with both the food and the and the style we thought let's let's meet somewhere in the middle where somebody can have just a really really comfortable experience um, but but they can have whatever spirit experience they want so on the one hand you could come in and have a burger and a beer right and super casual or we have a tasty menu on our menu which is a just a really curated experience. Okay. So you could come in and have that right. um, special occasion experience, or you could come in and just have like a bowl of mussels and a beer yeah. and be, be done. Cool. So
0: Well, I think you filled the void uh, because so many people that we've talked to, we used to say season one of the podcast, but it's kind of bled into just a big, long thing. One, one big season. <laughs> yes, and so many people, when we ask them, where do you take people when they're in town? Where do you take people when you want them to experience Dayton or just where do you like to go? Like, where's your, where's your spot? So many people have said corner kitchen, Mm. including Chris wire at real art Mm. who just, just raves about it. Um, what does that mean to you to know that you're like a go-to for people? It's humbling. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I I mean, mean,
2: it's, uh, it's not something that I don't, I think we anticipated when we first opened.
0: It's awesome. Yeah you're only four years in and so to already be considered a household name or a go-to instead of like yeah they're figuring it out like I think that would be a totally acceptable thing they're really good you know they're figuring it out (laughs) and like you know six seven eight years in oh they're awesome but to be like that quickly to be a go-to place is a testament to both of you guys and your people
3: yeah we got good people
0: our our,
2: our staff is a huge part of that and uh, and They've been so committed, we've had so many people that are still original staff members. Uh, we haven't seen turnover like we've experienced in the past managing mm-hmm. other places. That uh, it, it's, you know, it's it makes us feel so comfortable at the end of the day that mm-hmm. uh, not only do the do our guests believe in the experience we're gonna provide them with, but our staff also believes mm-hmm. in the environment that they're gonna work in and, and how um, they really find something that helps them grow yeah. and keeps them, you know, keeps them challenged and happy. Uh, cool. The one message that we try to tell both, you know, front house and back of house staff uh, is, you know, we can we can strive for consistency, but we're only going to be as good as the last plate of food that we serve or mm-hmm. the last cocktail that we mm-hmm. that we make. And everybody really has bought into that. You know, we can have great reviews, but right you know, one bad review, if we start sliding in one direction, then, you know, that's right. where it, it can easily be lost all those years of goodwill and, and good work. That's where I
0: feel like I, I personally, as a little bit of a perfectionist and a competitive person, I would feel so much pressure in your shoes just because everybody has their own opinion of things and you're trying to please everybody that comes in. Not only that, but like in such an important arena of their life, they're feeding themselves, mm-hmm. right? Or they're bringing. Uh, having a business meeting over a cocktail and it's like you have that 30 minute window to make an impression on them like mm-hmm. I would feel so much pressure
3: yeah and something that Jack always says that helps with that is um, you know we're only in competition with ourselves there are mm-hmm. a lot of people in our community doing a lot of cool things right. but um, as long as we keep our head down and focus on what we're doing and just always kind of trying to improve upon our product yeah um, we can't listen to the noise we can just um work from
0: within well the three things that stand out to me about corner kitchen and we've almost touched on each one kind of in an indirect way so it'll be good to expand just a little bit on each one you know if i'm describing like i'm usually the one that's pushing my my wife nikki to try a new restaurant like we'd love to go to all the local restaurants and one of my go-to things to say would be Basically, it's all made from scratch. And that's something that you can say about Corner Kitchen. What does that mean and, and how, how accurate is that? Uh,
2: I think it's pretty accurate and it's one of the things that that, uh, that drives menu development for me. Uh, we do change our menu every three months with a focus on seasonality. So uh, that's always looking at what local farmers can provide us with. Some of those being year-round products. Um, the Two main items that um, we do not make here are our French fries and uh, ice cream. Ice cream, yeah. Yeah, that's it. So, but
3: I think it goes beyond that because um, Jack is just—he's a geek, oh, you know that. But everything yeah, he does, he um, just researches the hell out of and right. um, figures out how why it was made and how it was made and you know the history of it. But um, the Part of the beauty of not only being a scratch kitchen, right. but having um, Jack's skill level in butchering entire animals, so it allows us to keep our food costs down. Right. Um, but that, like, I don't know anybody anywhere who really. Joe Delu in Rhinebeck, New York, is the only other chef I've ever worked with who is bringing entire animals, whether it's a pig, or a goat, or a lamb, or a chicken, or a fish. And we butchered ourselves in house. Wow. Everybody else right is right over there. Right over there. Right in there. It's
0: intimidating.
2: It, there's to me.
3: probably a lamb in our walk in right now. Um,
2: no, he got he got processed too He got Tuesday. processed. <laughs> okay. Um, or she. But <laughs> it. Um,
3: but that doesn't exist at all. Really. Really. In the uh, people call it the slow food movement, and that's kind of what they're referring to. Okay. Is really um, knowing where it's coming from and processing everything in house, and then using everything, all every right. piece. There's no waste. So what we do is um sustainable on top of um mm-hmm. just being coming from a place of love and um, making everything from sure. scratch
0: that's awesome so number mm-hmm. one making everything from scratch
3: yeah and that also includes um you know vegetables too every you know yeah. the cheap in it's not as cheap but the easy thing to do is getting pre-cut green beans or getting right you know everything that you're getting, even when you go to independent restaurants, a lot of it comes to you already processed okay. because that's a way you can keep your labor costs down. Well, we have Jack, so yeah. we don't need that.
2: <laughs> well, and we've got uh, some really skilled line cooks as well. Our line cooks are so, so quick with the knives now um, and dicing an onion. You know, every day we're making our pico de gallo for uh, nachos and tacos fresh. Cool. And so it also helps us with inventory control. We don't need to either buy pre made bulk amounts right. of it where you're not using it up on a daily basis. Uh, we have, we have what has become a luxury of having such skilled people. We can do everything fresh. Yeah. Um, so it, it is also one of my, I don't know, one of my passions is I'm, I'm about to make uh, onion jam for our, uh, oh. cheeseburgers. Cool. Uh, and that involves dicing up 20 onions. Wow. And so every time I do it, it's like, all right, I got to be faster than the last time. Yeah. And, and, uh, just that, that drive to, to achieve and be efficient. That's uh, something
0: that I hear when I hear made from scratch, too. It's just the, the quality and the freshness. Mm-hmm. It's like made from scratch, but, but the freshness that comes from mm-hmm. that, too. This mm-hmm. is such a draw for me. So it's awesome.
3: Yeah, a perfect example of that for us that, that I think differentiates us is the, um, our, our burgers. We grind our own meat fresh every yeah. single day. Like, nobody's doing that, you know? Yeah. So so that means you're going to get a very fresh burger every day, and it's going to be, like, the juiciest burger mm-hmm. you've ever had. <laughs> so that, I
0: almost used the cheeseburger, actually, as my example when I said, give me the difference between a chain uh-huh. burger yep. and a corner kitchen burger. Yeah. Can you do that real quick, just in case? Real quick? Uh, real quick, yeah, I would say it is that daily
2: grind. Um, a lot of the marketing you see now, especially with fast food restaurants, is fresh, never frozen. That could be, you know, fine, but with... Uh, any kind of ground meat, uh, as soon as it's ground, essentially you've opened up all these different avenues for that meat to lose moisture. Right. Uh, the smaller the cut or the, the, you know, the finer the grind, the more you're gonna have that moisture loss. So because we, make, we grind our burgers uh, fresh every day, we are trying to keep them as, as juicy as we can. And that's where a lot of the flavor is going to remain yes. is, um, is just in that, in that burger.
3: And, yeah. and it's our own blend too right. of different parts of the cow.
0: The second thing that really catches my eye, which we've talked a, quite a bit about actually is having an executive chef Jack that's hands-on and not just this uh, domineering administrator, but in the kitchen, um, which I would, if I was consulting or advising you, I might say we need to work on finding some more time um, away from the kitchen. But, um, having, having the experience, the, the professional, the executive chef being hands-on, I think can really separate you from, from other independent owned restaurants. Even can you yeah. talk about that?
3: Yeah. I think that, um, Jack being in the kitchen and, um, Initially, it was sort of, it's what he wanted to do, and it's what he loves to cook, and he's really, really good at it. Um, And initially, it was, you know, Jack can um, cut, dice up 20 onions in 10 minutes, where it would take somebody else. like 20 days. Yeah. For (laughs) me. So it was just, um, initially, (laughs) it kind of started out as a, uh, uh, what's the word, Uh, efficiency. Right. Um,
0: You needed him in there to be the most efficient. yeah, Yeah, exactly.
3: And now, um, now you know he's trained a lot of people yeah. to um, to come up to that level. So, yeah, I think that I think that it's a huge selling point for us that you know everything, every sauce, every soup, every the foundation of every mm-hmm. dish was um, created initially by Jack. Yeah. You know, he initiated that. Cool. We make all of our stocks from scratch from the carcasses of the chickens, from med And you know, sauces. And, and sauces. That's yep, awesome. Yep, everything. So. Um, but now, you know, I'm, I'm pregnant. So now Jack is, we're forcing him out of his comfort zone. He's also very comfortable back there. You know, he's happy when he doesn't have to talk to people or, (laughs) and he can just put his head down and cook.
0: I always tell, so people will come on and they'll say, you know, I wear, I uh, wear a lot of different hats. I've got a lot of different things going on and you know, obviously you're the executive chef, Jack, but you're also like the owner and I'm sure there's lots of hats to be worn. And so I like to ask the question you know what hat that you wear like puts a smile on your face or brings you the most joy? It sounds like I know the answer for you.
2: Yeah. It's, it's being a line cook. Mm -hmm. Um, I, I really like, um, I like the stress of service. I like, Mm -hmm. I like the love, the the lack of control that you have from what people are going to order, how it comes in because every single day then is a challenge. Um, the beauty of it is, uh, it 's not open heart surgery, so uh, i don 't need to worry about life and death circumstances right. um, on on a daily basis with that. We can do our absolute best and right. and then go to sleep at the end of the night and realize you know what as long as we did our best we 're going to be fine
0: okay. so all right, so the third thing for me is the menu changing, which uh, i didn 't think you guys had mentioned, but you did and uh The menu changes seasonally so four times a year and what's the motivation behind that and how has that worked how do your uh regulars feel about that
3: i think they love it they're Mm -hmm. you know i get emails all the time when is your menu changing um i you know there are some items that we've taken off the menu and then there's just been a revolt so we we put them on and and we don't change Um, but you know it was it was really we wanted to be a scratch kitchen from the get-go and we wanted to source locally yeah and so the way to do that to source locally is to change the change menu. with the seasons mm-hmm. right yeah exactly and we're so lucky we have a, we have a farm that um, grows exclusively for us now so oh, wow. um, it's fun and they um, give us their seed catalogs every fall and we get to pick out some stuff so um so that cool. is really exciting
0: well, that's awesome I like to try to, you know, promote the restaurant a little bit too as we sort of wrap up. So uh, are you closed on Sunday and Monday?
3: Sunday Mondays, yeah. Closed Sunday, Monday
0: they looked over here <laughs> closed on sunday monday yeah. uh open so tuesday through saturday for dinner at 4:30. Mm-hmm. do you recommend well do you take reservations
3: we recommend them yeah every night every night oh cool um so i know pe- a lot of people come in and they'll come in on a thursday we actually got one review that uh, was a one-star review and they came in on a thursday at 6:30 and couldn't get a table and right. um
0: that's yeah. a Dayton person, right? <laughs> because hello, if you try that in LA, it's you're never, you're never getting gonna get, it. Yeah,
3: but you know, I think I think that there we have. It appears that we have a lot of space. You know, we have these beautiful
0: high ceilings, high ceilings.
3: Yeah. But you know, we have about 18 tables total, okay. so we're wow. really a small restaurant. Um, and so, yeah, we recommend reservations yeah. for sure.
0: I love the the one. I'm I'm a nerd with Yelp reviews and. Uh, like, I'm not that person that leaves bad ones. I just read them, and I leave all five stars. <laughs> but I love the ones that are, like, uh, one-star review, and you're, like, go to read it, and it'll be, like, had to wait forever. The food was amazing. Right. Great experience. <laughs> had to wait forever. One star. It's like,
3: wait. I know. It <laughs> makes
0: no sense.
3: Yeah.
0: yeah. Uh, all right. So Tuesday through Saturday, uh, make a reservation. Uh, and talk to me about the lunch takeaway.
3: Um, our lunch takeaway, so we call it CK Takeaway. So it's just real simple. It's soup, salads, and sandwiches. Cool. Um, Again, all the soups are made from scratch. So we always have one soup that's always the same every um, day, and then we have a soup of the day. Okay. And so there's the option of two soups, and um, our our guy, Grant, runs it, and he makes everything from scratch. Monday through Friday. Monday through Friday, 11.30 to 3.
0: Yeah, perfect for people like me who are sort of eating lunch on the go. I'll oftentimes grab a lunch and eat it in my car. That's mm-hmm. perfect.
3: And that, that was sort of the, the philosophy in building that, too, is I felt like we were filling a void. You know, there wasn't a lot of stuff that you could get that was really fast and easy that was healthy. So yeah. that's that was the cool. impetus.
0: And people can obviously check out Corner Kitchen online on the website and then Instagram mm-hmm. and all the things.
3: Instagram, Facebook, website finerdiner.com.
0: oh i love it well uh i'm a i'm a bigger fan now than i was uh before and i think people have the same reaction you guys just seem really committed and passionate and down to earth and uh it's obviously a great product so um Thank best you. of luck uh, i don't always say good luck when people are about to have a baby i just say congratulations because <laughs> you don't need luck you're gonna do great and you'll figure it out
3: no i need luck no i mean if, <laughs>
0: if i can have kids living in my house anybody can so Uh, you'll be great thank you and uh wish you the best uh continued success with the restaurant thanks
3: thanks for taking the time talking with us
0: thank you guys thank you so much for checking out today's episode of the podcast if you enjoyed our conversation share it with your friends Uh, take a screenshot on your phone post it on instagram to your story or to your feed post a shot on facebook please help us spread the word about new dayton You can also subscribe to the podcast. You can leave us a review. And I want to give a special thank you to Katie Matthews for producing and editing the podcast. And a thank you and a shout out to John Waldron who created all of the music for the podcast. Also, last thing, if you have a guest recommendation, please connect with me on Instagram, chip underscore James, or email me at chipjames at gmail.com. Oh, and one last, last thing. Check out the website, choosingdayton.com forward slash newdayton. Thanks again.